0: Welcome everybody, this is Ryan for The Scale-Up Show. I have Jeff Mainz on today, who is a founder that has a combined over 200 million in built revenue through five different companies. He's managing and the CEO of two companies right now, doing an absolutely amazing job. We get into the usage of AI, specifically with SaaS, how it's affecting the future building companies. This episode was awesome and I absolutely loved it because of his unique perspective of both being an operator and at the same time having proven results while also helping a wide range of people today. So I think you'll enjoy this as well. Look forward to having you in there and checking it out. How do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions and this show is the answer. I have a very special guest with me today. I have Jeff Mains. Jeff is the founder and CEO of the SaaS Growth Accelerator Championship Leadership Group. He is also the founder and CEO of a SaaS company as well named Intelligence Contacts. He's he's out of Texas. And on top of that, he is also an author of the book, Small Fish, Big Pond, Building a World-Class Business that Swims Circles Around Competitors. Jeff, happy to have you on the show, man. Welcome, welcome. Hey, Ryan. It's great to be here. Yeah, I I love the aspect that you have, like the, you know, operator experience, because effectively, you built five companies holding over 200 million in combined revenue, which I kind of buried the lead on not including that one, which is awesome. But at the same time, you're helping others with your leadership group. So I think that's amazing. And then you you found some time to write a book in the middle of that at all as well. So it's (laughs) like you can't go wrong there, man. Absolutely. So, um, so why don't I, I know I gave a real quick intro about you. Why don't you just give us a real quick backdrop on what you're doing, what you're focusing on, you know, with the different companies, and then we'll kind of take it from there.
1: Sure. Well, thank you. Well, my background is very entrepreneurial. Like you said, five companies, uh, four exits and still run one of those today, which is intelligent contacts for a B2B SaaS uh, FinTech on the business side of healthcare. So we help fix the billing process for hospitals, health systems, and uh, create great patient experiences, patient engagement, and make the billing experience, which is normally kind of sucky, uh, as great as the care experience itself. And so that's uh, you know, something we've been doing for about 10 years and lots and lots of fun, trying to make a, a big difference in healthcare. And then using my SaaS experience and experience building other businesses, I love helping other founders do what I've done and also not make the dumb mistakes that I've made. And it's an exceptionally long list.
0: Well, okay. So that's awesome, right? Uh, a, that you're you're also, well, first of all, yeah, medical building does suck or sucky as you kind of define it as, <laughs> yes. right? And then I love the aspect that you're trying to help others. And, and that's why I'm doing a lot of what I do too, is just because like, sometimes there's such an easier path that you could take, but if you don't know what you don't know, you are not going to take that path, right? So right, what, right. what would you say are the most, you know, the top three to five most common mistakes that... SaaS founders make. And I think this is especially relevant because of the fact that there's so many new founders there that, that are sprouting up every day because of the democratization of software creation, specifically with all these AI tools or and AI enablement uh, capabilities that are happening. So we'd love to hear your perspective on that.
1: Sure. Big mistake. So one would be not valuing their equity. And so giving mm-hmm. it away too soon, whether that's to other founders or, or other people in the organization or taking funding rounds really, really early in the process and giving away a lot of equity. Uh, so I'd say that's one uh, not delegating, you know, particularly as the, the business becomes a little bit more mature and you start hiring people, not um, not delegating things out, holding on to, to those. And, and I see that all the time, just over and over again. That uh, you know, founders will will hold on to to things that they should have let go decades ago. You know, oh, really, wow. It, whether that's uh, you know doing their own email or you know not having an assistant, not uh, you know not letting salespeople you know run. You hire a VP of sales and, and you know, let them uh, do their thing. You hire an operations person, and so you know, it's and it's very difficult to do as a leader is to let those things go, especially when it's your baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and even myself. I mean these are things I know to do, but they're still really difficult. I don't think I've ever given anything away without leaving claw marks all over it. And it's just it it's a, a constant struggle, but I see a lot of other founders struggle with that as well. Um be you know too involved in their business. One of the things we want to do is we want to build a business uh, for most of the SaaS founders, they want to build something that uh, they they exit one day. You know, it's not something they plan to be around, you know, 20 years down the road and pass it on, you know, generationally. Uh, most of them want to, to grow, scale, and exits. That's one of the things that we help them with. But there's specific things that that you need to do in order to build a company, one, that somebody else wants to buy, and two, that someone is willing to pay a premium for. And so you're really thinking about those things early on and building that way instead of getting to the point of, okay, I'm starting to think about an exit or starting to think about a capital raise, and now we've got to go retrofit a whole bunch of other stuff uh, to make it where the business uh, really looks good to somebody from the outside.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. I love that, man. Those are very practical. Those three equity delegation, whether it's to an assistant or executive team, right? And then basically not creating a self-operating company so that it, the they can exit, if you will. Right. Right. Exit, right. So, So those are the three biggest kind of mistakes that they make. What do you recommend as a framework for approaching that? And Overcoming that. So let's say you're starting a business today, right? You're you're um, trying to figure it out, and you want to set it up for success for kind of what you talked about, right? So that your value, I should say, your equity is valued. You know, you you're basically not so ingrained in the business that it's that's all that you do, and then that you have the ability to exit. So what would you do on the flip side of that?
1: Sure. Well, on the flip side, one that I did not mention is actually one of the the key chapters in my book. Is uh, focus, uh, and, and you just brought that up. You know, if you're starting a company, it's it's going to market, and so often early on, it's uh, you know, who is your ICP? Well, it's it's everybody. Okay, we got to narrow that down. Okay, it's it's small business, it's medium sized businesses, it's anybody will give me money, but really having a, a laser focus and making sure your ICP is very very well defined so you can message <clears> that. <throat> I think that's a really important one because you want to have those those uh, you know ideal clients in a specific cohort. So that's one of the things that, you know, going down the road, if, if you go to, to do a raise or to sell, and you've got things that are just scattered everywhere across industries, uh, that can be a, a little bit more difficult to, to sell. You know, the other ones, you know, delegating, having a system to do that, uh, you know, having some sort of a structure, having an operating system as one of the things that we created because it's been such a an issue. Uh, is the the SaaS fuel operating system, and so it's really designed to help help companies uh, organize, have very specific KPIs, and to track those in a software. And you know, so you you've got everybody on the the team, everybody in the organization, it's aligned. They understand what their role is. They understand how they mm-hmm. fit into the bigger picture of what you're trying to accomplish. And I think that's real important. Is uh, whatever you do, you know, make sure you have some sort of a a process to systematically grow and, and accomplish, you know, what you really want to accomplish the most important things in a specific period of time. So, you know, whether that's, uh, you know, quarters or months or, uh, you know, we work in six week sprints, so lots of different ways to do that, but where we have very specific things that everybody is working on and aligned on during those sprints.
0: Okay. Makes a lot of sense. And what software do you leverage for that to track or wh- which ones do you recommend for the, you know, centralized KPI tracking?
1: Sure. We've actually created it. And so there, there there are a handful of them out there. If, if you're on EOS, uh, you've got like something uh, 90.io. And so we actually created something that that uh, competes with that. It takes some of the, the elements, uh, the good things that are in EOS, some good things from uh, Rockefeller Habits, some good things <coughs> from other places, and into a, a single software. Um, but, uh, you know, Scaling Up has a software. there There's lots of uh, tracking you could use, something like Basecamp for project management. Uh, so there are other things that you can do, uh, yourself, but having a a focus tool specifically for that, I think is really, really important.
0: Okay. And what advice would you give, let's say to a founder that has rich domain expertise, um, is interested in creating, you know, a SaaS business, but doesn't have a technical co-founder yet. Um, how, how I'm sure that comes up quite a bit. Um, how do you kind of approach that from a recommendation perspective?
1: Sure, and and that really fits my background. I'm not a, a technical person, um, you know, it, which is it's really odd because a lot of things that I've done in the past have had kind of a technology component to them and two SaAS companies. And you know not being technical, I think, has been very helpful at times and and a, a problem at, at times. And so the, the first thing is really finding that a person that really shares your vision. So I think having a very strong mission, vision, purpose, uh, core values for the the organization you know what is it that you're trying to accomplish and then getting somebody that is technical to buy into that vision that that wants to help build that and make that come to life i think that's one of the the most important things so it's not just going and finding development talent that's pretty easy to do but if you're really looking for a technical co-founder or somebody to to go on that journey with you it's uh, it's all about the vision
0: okay that makes sense and i, I would imagine too like Alignment personally as well, right? With yes. personality habits and like work ethic and um, priorities outside of work. I would think that's got to be huge too, right?
1: It, it is. And, and I see that all the time where when those things are, are misaligned, where somebody is is completely focused on the business and somebody else is like, well, it's kind of a side project and I'm working on this in my spare time. Uh, there can be some pretty significant conflict. So making sure that those ground rules are, are, are really uh, laid out up front. And, you know, what is it that we're building? And I think that this goes back to the, have the vision and the mission. And because if somebody is really committed to that, then they're going to put the time in,
0: they're going to be you know, as passionate about it as you. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. So, you know, I, it got me thinking as you, cause I know you have a SaaS company, right? And then you have the championship leader group, right. which is like a SaaS growth accelerator, so, and then you have, it sounds like you have the software too, which I didn't realize to track the KPIs of probably the systems that you talk about in there. Right. Did you decide to create the leadership accelerator first and then the software second, or did you create the leadership accelerator because you knew it would feed into the software? Like what was kind of your go-to-market motion with that and and how did you kind of create it?
1: Sure. The the software actually came second. And because okay. we're working with lots and lots of founders, I have a couple hundred founders that we work with. Uh, in the group, SaaS founders, and so a lot of the same things kept coming up over and over. And so we started seeing some gaps in the in in businesses uh, around processes, around KPIs, around team alignment, and where things really started to break down is once you you get um, you know, between five and ten million, there was almost mm. always a point where a company would get stuck, and and it's something that. Yeah, if they could do it earlier, then they just fly right by that. But if they hadn't done it, then somewhere between five and ten, usually around seven, uh, they would start really having some issues. And, and some of them would get over that, you know, 10, 12, 15. And, and things would would really start to break down uh, by not having those in place. And and so we had you know spreadsheets and, and some other ways that we tracked it early on. But it made a lot more sense. I mean, we're in SAS world you know, why not build a software and put those in there so that everybody in the organization has visibility, they have alignment, uh, they understand their roles, they understand their KPIs, and they're managing their own goals as well that roll up to, you know, higher level goals. Yeah. So the software came second.
0: So, yeah. So basically you created a second because you started to use it internally. when right. you were trying to overcome the problem that you saw in the market, which makes a lot of sense, man. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's interesting. Okay. So talk to me about, you know, what do you see happening in the SaaS marketplace, specifically with the proliferation of AI tools, AI companies, AI resources that's happened over the last 12 months, you know, or 14 months as of now, probably because it started well, maybe 13 months, whatever. Sure. We get the idea, right? So <laughs> what's your take on that, man? Like, Because, like, we've had, I don't know, eight years of innovation in four months. So, like, if you stack that up, we've we've had 24 years of innovation over the last, you know, basically year. Uh, yeah. if, if you if you apply that principle, so what's your take on that? And uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
1: Sure. And I've I've seen technology move really, really fast in my lifetime, but I've never seen anything like we've we've experienced over the last 12 to 18 months. It's just unbelievable how quickly technology is moving, and, and AI is a real game changer. I think it it helps. Uh, you know, so many different areas of business. Whether that's marketing messages, whether it's emails, whether it is, you know, I need to to write an SOP. I don't know how to do that. Well, I can just put it in there, and I can at least get a framework, and and edit. So it's a whole lot easier to to do that. So it's it's really brought, you know, somebody who's kind of a a lower or mid level player, or have you know that kind of expertise, and, and made them you know in that ninetieth percentile. And so if you're already in the 90th percentile, maybe you're, you know, 95 or, or higher. So there, there's a lot that can be done and, and everybody should be using AI in some capacity in their daily work. And as a SaaS company, it's really looking at it not just doing AI because it's cool or it's the, the latest thing. It's a shiny object out there, but really figuring out where does it fit uh, within your application? How can you use AI to add value? Uh, for example uh, intelligent contacts, one of the things that we 've started working on is a essentially a chat bot for support so we have a support team and, and so we 've got you know tons and tons of tickets and comments and knowledge base and all that but we can we can we can build a, a our own g p t and put that all that data into it and then somebody can just ask questions and that can become that first level of support. Um, so sometimes they want to talk to somebody. Sometimes they, they want to, to just get the answer and continue on with their day. And so any way that, that, that we want to, any way that we can accelerate uh, that experience for them, I think is a, a really, really good thing. And so it's, you know, really looking at, at your application and figuring out what can I do that would add value to my user? What, what is going to make their day you know, easier, better, faster and, and help them accomplish whatever it is that they want to do uh, very quickly. So not just adopting AI just because it's cool, but figuring out how can we use it to to really advance what they're trying to – the core reason they're using the software in the first place. Yeah.
0: It makes a lot of sense. What, like, what do you think it's going to do to the SaaS industry as a whole? Well, it's, it's just making things go faster. So, I mean,
1: we've, we've already seen – uh, no code applications or low code. I think that's changed quite a bit because uh, you can go out there, you can build a, a new SaaS in in a few hours, just taking components that already exist. Um, so I think it's just going to continue to advance that. And will it ever write its own code? I don't know. Maybe. You know, not not as concerned about that. Um, but it's yeah, thinking about uh, you know what can we do? What kind of solutions can we build? What kind of problems can we solve? That are out there and, and that they, they need to be real problems. And so if there's something that, that AI, if there's a downside, it's that, you know, things are, are so easy to build now or, you know, code is so easy to, to put out there and create a, an application. It's easy to chase a false signal. And so you see something out there and well, yeah, hey, this is a problem. We can go make a bunch of money doing this. And maybe, but is it a problem that somebody really wants solved? Is it something they're going to pay to solve? Some are some are and some aren't. Yeah, you know, Some problems are, are just not that painful. Uh, others, others definitely are. But I think it is it will fundamentally change how quickly applications go to market and then how quickly others get up to parity. So, for example, you could have a, a code base that's been built over the course of 10 years and, and now you have somebody that, that starts a, a new company today and they can catch up in six months. And so things are going so, so fast.
0: So what are you to create, you know, a scalable business that's sellable, right? That's an asset. <clears throat> how are you talking to your SaaS founders about protecting against that?
1: Well, I think that's one of the things that, that we talk about is and we call it monopoly control. It's, it's, you know, how do you build a moat around your business? Uh, what can you do? And I think one of the ways that you do that is, you know, we talk about this. You can only be as big as you are small. So if you want to get big, go small. And it's really focusing in on a very specific niche. And so, you know, if you're a CRM and you're a CRM for the world, you know, there's a hundred other ones. But if you're a CRM and let's say you're in the pest control industry and that's, you know, you're very specific, not just home services, but you're going to shrink down even further pest control. Well, now you have a captive market that you can go after and you can own a niche like that can you own home services? Sure, you could probably do that once you capture one, you can probably expand out beyond that. Um, but so, so many times companies will go to market and and they're for everybody. And so it's like, mm-hmm. "Hey, we're a CRM, we're awesome." Maybe. But yeah, you know, how how can I tell, you know, among the the sea of 100 other ones, but if I see one that is very specific to my business and I know you understand my business, now now I'm interested. Now there's a conversation to be had and so i think the the smaller you can go the the smaller you can make that niche the more you can become an expert and become known uh, inside there the 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 more powerful that is and that's where you have um, you know when you can own that market that's when somebody else from the outside comes in then they won't buy something that they can build themselves and Mm -hmm. so but if you have that loyal customer base within that market they may they may be a layer or two higher and go i see a lot of value in that want to buy that because it's going to take me a lot longer. It's going to be a lot more difficult to to build it than just to go buy it. And ultimately, that's Mm. what we want is to be in a place where somebody looks at it and goes, that's worth buying because I can't build it.
0: Okay. Gotcha. So how small is too small then?
1: You know, I don't know. (laughs) This comes (laughs) up occasionally and I've never come across a company that is, is too focused on a niche.
0: Really? Okay. Yeah. It's interesting.
1: And, and usually it's, it's, you know, go down. And I think when you get, you know, so small that it's scary, you could probably shrink down one, one layer deeper, you know, and, and still be in a really, really good place. So you think about, you know, we work with B2B SaaS companies. We don't do B2C. We don't do, you know, all of these other right. things. And, and, and that's it. Well, our entire population is, I don't know, 18, 20,000 companies. I was like, "Whoa, that's really, really small." Well, not really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that that's manageable. But if we're talking about, you know, in, you know, investors always want a giant TAM. So, you know, it's you know the market's forty-five million companies. It's one hundred and fifteen million companies. Well, is that really realistic? Can you market to that? Can you message it? Can you have a message that's going to resonate on something that broad? Probably not. And so the smaller you go, you can get very, very specific with the marketing and the messaging. And they look at, at you and they go, wow, this was built for me. And that's really yeah. what you want.
0: Yeah, I can see that, man. Because like, so it's funny, that's part of a process actually that I go through with, with clients I've worked with in the past. It actually helped us double our deal size every year for five years straight and then 1,000 extra largest deal size as well. So... And I called it. I call it vertical to horizontal, right? Yeah. So a little, yeah. little different approach, right? So it's funny we. Um, and I've seen this too with, with clients I've worked with, and it's so often overlooked and underutilized. But basically, you know, we had a company that I was tasked to create a company or a division to go out market, and so I had to look at the existing customer base, what was working, look at other divisions in the company, and there were some weird outliers that I saw. And effectively, what it was is there was there was um, outliers like. For example, one of our main verticals was legal and professional services. And an average ACV was $30,000 a month, right? Of that, you know, that was our biggest vertical. The sales cycle was 12 months long. And I looked at it and I'm like, hey, there's this weird outlier in retail where we have one customer that had $100,000 a month in revenue. And it was kind of like an accidental deal with somebody that was a smaller deal, but then got a uh, basically acquired and then grew a lot. You know what I mean? So it wasn't yeah. like it didn't start at that at the acu- acu- acquisition point, right? But that $100,000 deal took effectively only nine months to acquire. So you have a, a nine month, $100,000 deal, you know, per month sales cycle versus a $30,000 month, 12 month sales cycle, right? So <clears throat> I'm like, what what would happen if we, I'm like, why haven't we focused disproportionate time if we want to go up market on this vertical? And they like, that's, that's a good question. Why I don't know why we have it, right? So then I dug <laughs> right. in and then within that vertical, that retail vertical, retail is a massive vertical, by the yes, way, as you, yes. you know, right? We niched down and, and there were certain types of retail that were really good. Like, for example, grocery and supermarkets. So what happened as a result of that, we got in there and we landed Whole Foods, cold, right? Whole Foods, Amazon Whole Foods, right? Yep. And they ended up paying us like over $650,000 a month um, alone from that opportunity. And it it was became our biggest vertical. So um, I've also seen it with clients too, where it, like it's right there and there'll be 83% of their revenue from three verticals when they focus on 12 or 14. Yeah. And they don't have, yeah. you know, customized content, sales processes, distribution, anything around it. It's just very general. So I get what you're saying. And that makes sense. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. That's why I was... I was like, "What's too small in your perspective?" You know what <laughs> I mean. But you're right because you could always you could always go to the adjacent area too, right? right? You can right. always go right. to like you're saying if it's pest control, you can go over to home services, right? Right. So, and you can do that functionally, like if it's a solution for a certain job function, or it could be that that vertical or that sub niche expansion that you're kind of talking about as well. Right. So, okay. Yeah, but when
1: you own so, that one, it's a lot easier to expand out from there. But when you're really yeah. general and you're like, okay, we're home services for everybody. Well, every one of those companies that would say we're in the home services business, they always, they all think that their business is special. It's not like everybody else's. It's really, really unique. It's a small community. But then when you can get into that community and you can say, we're one of you, you're one of us, then it's a lot easier to expand out from there.
0: Yeah. Makes so much sense. Okay. Well so let me ask you this. this is a random question and the only reason I'm asking this cuz I just got asked this question uh for a panel I was on what's your favorite tool stack that you use that you wouldn't be able to live without
1: <laughs> uh, I think Slack has to be there at the top um, yeah that, that would be one uh, for sure yeah is there another one I couldn't live without probably not maybe you know calendar I just switched over to uh, to reclaim.ai uh, from What's that? Uh, I haven't heard of uh, that one. It is—it's an AI powered calendar, so it moves moves appointments around into uh, you know open spots. You can have it defend your time and places.
0: Oh, uh, that. has that, been
1: pretty cool. So I, I, I really like that. Uh, but I, I'd say you know those two would, would be you know some of my favorites.
0: What's the biggest benefit you got from Reclaim AI? I, I'm going to look into that one. <laughs> and it's
1: funny—is um, lunch. That, that, that was my biggest <laughs> benefit, which sounds crazy. But yeah, you know, I would look at my calendar and it would just be stacked back to back to back to back. And it's like, if I don't get lunch on the calendar, then it's not going to happen. But I can say, I want, you know, this, this focus time. I want, um, you know, time to, to read. I want time, you know, for, uh, to work out. I want, you know, lunch and, it, and it's, you know, at least 30 minutes, but, you know, up to an hour in, in this kind of window. And so what it does is it it works the schedule and, and finds that and, uh, and you know, schedules things for me uh, for the month. So metrics review is one of the things I did this morning. And so, it, it you know, I say I want to do this once a month around, you know, between these dates. And so it blocked out the time. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. That's, a, you know, I've got that. And now I know, you know, this is the time to do that. And if something comes in there and it needs to move it, then it rearranges that. But it makes sure that I get the important things done and that they end up on the calendar, not you know, oh yeah, I need to do that, and it ends up in nights, weekends, because then those fill up with other things too
0: dude, I love that i'm gonna I'm gonna try that. One of the things that I did literally this was i think the day before yeah it was over the weekend is um have you have you heard of the like Seinfeld productivity method at all? No, what's that? So, one of the things Seinfeld, that Jerry Seinfeld, the comedian, did is he was, I think it was when he was trying, when he first getting, was getting started, he would basically dedicate a certain amount of time every day to consistent work on his jokes, like his joke stack or, or whatnot, or his um, stand up skits. And so he would spend, I can't remember how much time it was every day, maybe it was a couple hours. And basically he had like, he had it all listed out like a bulletin board and he would red X every day that yes, he did that. Right? I actually
1: have a, a chart like that. I didn't know that was, uh, that was what it was called. Okay, yeah. so, the whole point, don't break the chain. And so you keep the, every single day you have to put the X in there that, uh, that yeah. you did it. And you want to, you want to get, you know, don't break the chain.
0: Yeah, exactly. Don't break the chain. Right. So yeah. I created a, I found a prompt on this, then created it in chat GPT. Screenshotted a picture of my calendar and asked how I could apply that with my current schedule. Very cool. And it gave some pretty good advice, which was interesting in terms of implementing it. So um, I might have to check out Reclaim AI and then leverage that in addition to it, because it, there were some pretty unique things um, that I was impressed with. So love hearing that, that that's uh, what you did. All right, man. Well, Jeff, unfortunately, we are up on time and uh, love this episode. This went by super fast. Where can people find you? Where can they find out more about Intelligent Contacts and or the Championship Sales Accelerator Group? Maybe sure. I butchered the name of it,
1: but uh, no worries. Uh, championleadership.com is the, the place to go for that. And you can find me across all social. I am at Jeff Middle Initial K Mains, Jeff K Mains uh, on all platforms.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on, Jeff. This was a blast, man. I love having you on. Thanks, Ryan. It's a good conversation. Thanks. Uh, And thank you for joining me and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for checking out the scale up show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering.